0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I don't know about you, my heart has been is full, because um, we have obviously taken had the, uh, had the opportunity to honor uh, this couple uh, today. Uh, but I really believe, and I'm being a little bit of an outsider coming in, I truly believe Christ was magnified Amen. today. And that's not a, that's not a it shouldn't be, it's not a surprise, but um, uh, as we've, uh, and that's what bringing glory to God means, giving the right opinion of Him. And when somebody sees our lives, he, they should automatically be, be, be turned toward our God, and I, I, that's what I've seen today, and I'm so thankful. Uh, it's been a fun day um, Uh, And uh, just hearing all these stories, I never knew. (laughs) I mean... Just some of the stuff that you were a part of, I don 't know what you're doing when you get back from Alaska, but we might have a spot on program for you at camp. You do skits because if you do, uh, we might do that. Uh, we just re- just recently redid our uh, activity center uh, where we have our services during the summer, and there's one I, I think we're going to add something to that. i'm going to run back and run it by the guys because I think we should start retiring youth pastor jerseys uh, <laughs> there. And I think we could, I mean, yours might be the only one ever uh, cause, <laughs> but I think we could hang it right there in the activity center because we work with a lot of youth pastors. But it's been, it really has been a joy uh, to be able to, uh, to be a part of this. Thank you so much for welcoming me in uh, as, as you've had the opportunity uh, to, uh, to uh, do this for uh, uh, Brother Mark and Miss Patty. And um, so so I would imagine that name goes right together. Your kids probably think Mark and Patty is one word, um, because of the ministry it seems like they have had over these over these years. Um, just want to end our day here, uh, just with an encouragement as well. I, again, I was thinking through what what are the elements, what are the what are the common parts that go into somebody being able to uh, be uh, able to do what they do for this long, for thirty six, I don't know, 40, 50, however many years it really is, um, but. Uh, uh, what, what are the components that go into that? And I really believe, and there's other things that could be added to this, but we talked about one earlier, and that's knowing God. And I'm more solidified in that than I ever was after hearing everything, not just uh, the fun stories, but the impact uh, that this couple has had. They cannot do that for that long, cannot. Do not believe it's possible. You, you'd, you'd fade away. You cannot do that for that long without knowing God and i am I am solidified in that and uh I'm, I'm, I, that's an encouragement uh to God working in and through you uh and of course addison uh spoke on another one on the faithfulness, and somebody else mentioned it we can't be faithful unless our God is faithful first, and He is and has been to you, and you've in turn done that uh in a in a i mean not perfectly I mean you ran over a buzzard I mean you know <laughs> never will I forget that story uh And then just one last aspect that I just want to touch on briefly this afternoon uh, and just thinking about the common parts of what goes into uh, being able to do this and and it's endurance. If you could turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, Again, I'll keep this brief. Um, But God has called us to endure. And the reason he has called us to endure is because he has called us to run. Uh, in this Christian life. This is not a sprint. I think we understand that this is a marathon and we are instructed to run a race uh, and this race and the only way we can run effectively in this race for however long God allows us to be running on this earth is if we endure and God instructs us in this chapter, exactly how to endure. Let's pray and ask God to help us these next couple minutes that we're together. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the way it instructs our heart. I pray that you would help us, give us uh, the strength to listen, uh, even this afternoon, this late afternoon, Lord, uh, to your word this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is endurance? You, many of you are a part of CIT. A lot of you this past summer Uh, This should be a reminder to you. I hope you didn't forget this. What What is endurance? Faithfully obeying God's word, even in the face of difficulty and danger. That's endurance. Faithfully obeying God's word even in the face of difficulty and danger. And that's what uh, the writer of Hebrews instructs our hearts in in Hebrews chapter 12. You see in chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, he tells us this. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, and of course, we need to pause here for just a second. We need to understand something here. He is telling us wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses. Where? Well, who are these witnesses? What is that all about? It's the people that we talk about in Hebrews chapter 11. You know what Hebrews chapter 11 is? It's the the faith hall of fame. And these people in Hebrews chapter 11, because they endured. How did they endure? They endured by faith. That's what Addison was mentioning earlier when he spoke earlier. They endured by faith. Now, we need to understand very quickly, we need to understand what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, just look there, verse 1, very, very quickly. Hebrews chapter 11 doesn't just give us a definition of faith. It gives us a description of what faith is. Now, what is faith? Very very, very uh, succinctly, the writer of Hebrews says, now faith is this. It's two things. It's substance and it's evidence. We can't endure that we talk about in chapter 12, without having the faith of chapter 11. That's important for us to understand. So we have to understand what what faith really is. It's two things, it's substance and it's evidence. He says, now faith is the substance, it's just in things hoped for. And then he says, it's the evidence, it's just in things we cannot see. It's substance. Now when we think about the word substance, it means something that is substantial, Okay, I think you understand what I'm talking about that. Something you can actually stand on, something you can, for the word, sink your teeth into. Many times uh, when I get home at night, it'll be kind of late and I, I will be, sometimes I will be hungry when I, every night I get home, I'm hungry. And I want something to eat, so I'll go, I'll open the refrigerator and my wife will be standing there and I'll be like, I need, I'm, so, I'm hungry. And she'll, she'll say something like this, hey, there's watermelon in there. It's like, no, I don't want watermelon, that's water and melon, I don't want that. And then she'll say something like, hey, why don't you pop a bag of popcorn? I don't want popcorn. Oh, it's air. I don't want anything like that. I don't want watermelon. I don't want popcorn. I want Buffalo Wild Wings is what I want. That's an hour away, and I want something substantial. I want something I can sink my teeth into. I want something with meat on it. Faith is something of substance. When I, when I was growing up, a lot of times I would think of the word faith. I would think of something that, you know, just a, a leap into oblivion, hoping something's going to catch me. That's not biblical faith. That might be worldly faith. That's not biblical faith. I think the world has hijacked a lot of Bible terms, and I, we need to take that back. We need to really understand what faith is. it is something of substance. it is something that is sure it's not a leap into oblivion. it is something uh, oblivion. it is something that is sure and settled. And what is this? It's faith in the, it's, just, it's a substance of things hoped for. now there's another word that's been hijacked by our English language. That word hope doesn't necessarily mean uh, what, the, what the English Says it means. Because when you think about hope, it's like, I hope my team wins. That's not what the word hope is in the Bible. It is something that is already secured that we just don't have yet. Faith is something of substance, it's just in things hoped for. And then he goes on and he gives us something else. It's evidence, it's just in things we cannot see. Evidence that is so clear that nobody can argue with it. It is obvious. That is what is hope, that is what is faith. And now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And that's exactly why these people are in Hebrews chapter 11. And what are we talking about? These people are there because they were confronted by difficult things, things that did not look right. But they didn't look at the circumstance. They looked at the God who owned that circumstance. They believed that God is who he says he is, even when it looks like he isn't. I'm going to say that again, because that's important for us to understand. Faith is somebody, faith is, is belief in the promises of God. Belief in the promises of God, that God is and does what he says he does and is, even when it looks like he is. And a lot of times we're going to be going through difficult things in life, and we are not going to understand what's going on. It is not on us to understand. It's on us to trust. And we looked this morning to we understood what it means to trust. You only trust someone you know. So there's the whole process. I can only have this faith that Hebrews chapter 11 people had when I know my God. I can't do this. I can't do this life. That's exactly the reason we see despair and depression Suicide rates are skyrocketing because people don't know God. Number one, they don't know Him from a saving standpoint, but even those who know God from a saving standpoint don't know Him well. Because if they know Him well, they'll understand when they look at the situations of life, they'll look at these things and say, you know what, this doesn't make sense. But it doesn't have to make sense. God said this. God is who He says He is. We have to understand that if we are going to endure in this life. If we are going to press on, if we are going to, as Hebrews chapter 12, we'll go back to there now, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 tell us to run. So again, the writer says, wherefore, of course that word wherefore is pointing us back to chapter 11, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, people who have faced difficulties before and said, you can do this. You can do this. That's that cloud of witnesses. Because we have that as pushing us on, he goes on to say this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. These are sinful things that we need to lay aside, obviously, and there's sometimes it's just non-necessarily sinful things, but things that might inhibit us from being able to run a race effectively. So he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and then he says, let us run. We gotta run. This race that is set before us. Running is not an option. We all run. How well we run is. And running in this life takes endurance. And he goes on in this chapter, and very briefly, I just want to point out just four things real quick, that he, put, that he says, okay, this is what it takes to endure. This is what it takes to endure. If we're going to endure... If we're going to faithfully obey God's word, even in the face of difficulty and danger, there's four things that the writer here highlights. Number one, we have to ponder Christ. We must ponder Christ. Again, verse one and two, I wanna read down through verse uh, four. He says this, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience. That word patience is our word for endurance. Endurance. With patience, the race that is set before us. And here's, here's the pondering Christ. Looking unto Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith is our belief system. He is the beginner and the ender of that faith. Everything about faith filters through Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And here's our example in Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. There's our word again despising the shame and now he's received his reward and set down at the right hand of the throne of God and he goes on to pound this point in the next verse he says this for consider him for consider him that word consider uh, again, another one of those words because uh, I think what the word consider it, it comes across as oh I'll think about that that's not the word consider the word consider means to reason with careful deliberation to really stop And think and dwell. And specifically on Jesus. He goes on, he says, listen, if you are going to run, you have to endure. And if you are going to endure, you must keep your focus on Jesus. You must consider him, reason about him with careful deliberation. For consider him, what about him, about Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself? So we need to constantly be thinking Jesus, be thinking gospel. Ooh, we have seen that today. I am so thankful for this testimony. I, I, stopping on the side of the road and picking up a hitchhiker with a busload of teenagers, that's probably not a session that I would do at Youth Workers Conference. <laughs> but I love it. Not necessarily promoting it, but I love it. You're sharing Jesus. Obviously, the gospel is on the tip of a tongue here. It has to be this way. We constantly consider Jesus, for consider him and everything about him. And if we're going to endure, why are we considering Jesus? Because we need to really understand what he went through. What did he go through? this contradiction of sinners against himself. And he says this, if we don't consider Christ, what's gonna happen? We are gonna be wearied and we are gonna faint in our minds. It says it right there in verse three. For consider him that that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we be wearied and we faint in our minds. We will be wearied if we do not have our focus on Christ. When we start to think about how hard life is, consider Christ. Keep our focus and gaze. Reason about him with careful deliberation. In trials, don't grow weary or give up. In temptation, resist. Because in essence, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 4. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You didn't shed your blood in your battle against your sin. But guess what? That's exactly what Jesus did. He shed his blood against sin that wasn't his, but ours. That's what Jesus went through. And we start to think about how weary we are in life. We've got to get our focus and our gaze on Jesus. But not only that, as we're thinking about enduring in this life, number one, you have to ponder Christ. The second thing, you have to remember the purpose of endurance. I want to read verses 5 through 11 here. He says this, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if we be without chastisement, whereof all are ye partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons, your illegitimate children. Furthermore, verse 9, we have had fathers of our own flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. I'll finish that in just a second. The problem is so often we have forgotten why we have to endure. We endure through the discipline process. Evidently, there were those within the the Jewish community here uh, that were struggling with having to go through chastening. Sometimes we get so caught up with what we have to endure that we forget why we endure. And God God chastens those he loves. Now, we have to understand discipline. I don't know about you. There's a lot about the discipline process because endurance, just to to keep bringing us up to speed here, endurance happens through the discipline process, now we have to understand what discipline is when I was growing up i didn 't understand a, a, a discipline exactly i didn 't understand what it was all about. really, what my mind was it was all about me paying a price for something that I had done wrong i didn 't understand a lot about the discipline process i didn 't understand ask i didn 't understand that phrase "This is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you." That makes zero sense to me it 's like it 's going to hurt you worse than it well give me the belt if you really want me to understand I didn't understand a lot about the discipline process because I was a child but we need to think about rightly about this discipline process for me all it was about was fear and if you haven't heard the sound of a belt coming through eight belt loops in .2 seconds you don't know what fear is (laughs) and I heard it a lot but he says do not regard lightly do not have little esteem like the mind of a child um, about the discipline process this is what he says Uh, but for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Uh, Now we need, again, we need to understand the discipline process. This is not about me paying a price for something that I have done wrong. That is crucial for us to understand. Godly discipline is not about me paying a price. Why is that true? The price is already paid. I will never I don't understand it. I I don't understand how it works. I don't understand why God did it. But I will never have to pay a price for my sin. I am forgiven. I will never have to pay a price for something that I have done. Past, present, future. It is all under the blood. Not my blood. Jesus blood. I am under Jesus. I am in Christ. And whatever applies to Christ applies to me in this case. And sin is dead. I am alive to God but only through Jesus. I will never have to pay a price. So, see, so, so for sure, we understand this discipline is not about me paying a price for something I have already done because that price is already paid in full. So what is discipline? Here it is. This godly discipline is about God chastening us back to thinking rightly about how he intends for us to think about life. All kinds of different things coming at us in life. And God says, listen, everything you go through is to chasten you back to thinking about life. Where do we see this? Verses five and six, I wanna read those. And then I wanna highlight, he uses three different words for the discipline process here. Let me read this and I'll highlight them as we go through. And ye've forgotten the exhortation, there it is, well, there's one, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art, here's the second word, rebuked of him for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and here's the third word and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth three different words for discipline okay so let let me walk back through it again God's told us to run running is not an option how we run is and he says listen Because you are running, you are going to have to learn to endure. How do I endure? I have to keep my focus on Jesus. I have to ponder Christ. I have to understand that this this endurance comes through a discipline process. But the discipline is not about me paying a price when I sin. That price is already paid. This discipline process is is about God chastening me back to thinking rightly about everything that I go through in life. And here's the three words. The first word is discipline. This is the act of providing guidance for responsible living, upbringing, training, or instruction. This happens in trials. That second word, reproof, means to scrutinize or bring to light or expose. This happens through conviction. That third word is chastening. That means to, be, to beat with a whip or a lash. This happens through the consequences of my sin. All of these things push me back to thinking about the life the way God intends for me to think about life through trials he pushes me back to thinking through life thinking properly about life through conviction when God confronts me about my sin whether in a service or my own personal time whatever it is that's pushing me back to thinking rightly about life through yes even the consequences of my own sin you know i i can sin And there will be consequences to my sin. And all of those things are are natural consequences for me to think rightly about life. God didn't create gravity to punish the man who jumped off a building. It was already there. And the truth is, these consequences that that we see in life all push me back to thinking rightly about life. That's the discipline uh, process. So what are we talking about here? We have to endure. We are running a marathon. We are running a race, and there will be trials. There will be difficulties that come, and we must continue to move on. How do we do this? We keep our focus on Jesus. We ponder Christ. We have to think about the discipline process because that's what we go through to learn to endure. Now, discipline is, not, is the process. It's not the end product. That's important for us to understand. What is the end product? Look again, chapter 12, verse 10. He says, for they verily, talking about earthly fathers, chastened us after their own pleasure. Then he flips and he says, but he, talking about God, why does he discipline us? Why does he allow us to go through discipline? For our profit?" and here it is, that we might be partakers of his holiness. The reason he is calling us to endure through the discipline process is so that we would be more and more holy. More and more like Jesus. He wants us to be like him. This is what God is doing in life. God is on a mission to redeem mankind and to restore mankind to the likeness of his son, to the praise of his glory. And he does this through chastening us. And allowing circumstances to come into our life to cause us to think rightly about him. And we we might not know exactly why he's causing us to think this way. We might not know exactly why this trial or this difficulty has come. But it's not on ours to understand. He doesn't call us to understand. He calls us to trust. And the only way we can trust him is if we know him. So really the whole process... If we're going to endure in this life, it comes from knowledge of who our God is. The whole process flows right through. And he does this because he wants us to be more and more holy. To be more complete in Jesus. We endure through discipline. We accept the discipline to become holy. Godlike discipline leads us to Holiness. And that's the proper perspective in this discipline process. He goes on in verse 12, he says, and then verse 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. And that's true, we see that. But he goes on to say, nevertheless, afterwards, what happens? It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So, what happens when we go through this process? We become more holy and the peaceable fruits of righteousness start popping out on our, in our life. It is, it's not pleasant. It's painful. But what are these peaceable fruits of righteousness? It's humility. It's submission to him. It's dependence on him. It's this patience or this endurance that we see here. We see other places in scripture like James chapter 1. It's a more eternal mindset. All of these are, are peaceable fruits of righteousness. Fruits that are free of antagonisms. That's what we are be, what is being produced in our life when we look at a trial and look at a difficulty and we say, okay, I don't understand this, but Lord, I'm going to believe you and I endure. Endurance is not weathering a storm just to get through. Endurance is thriving because of what God allows into our lives. And these things come through affliction. Spurgeon said this, if you see afflictions come and you sit down impatiently and you will not be exercised by your trials then you do not get the peaceable fruits of righteousness that we see in Hebrews chapter 12 but if like a man you say now is my time of trial I will play the man I will wake up my faith my belief system to meet that foe I will take hold of God. I will stand with firm foot and slip not. Let all my graces be aroused. For here is something to be exercised upon. It is then that a man's bone and sinew and muscle all grow stronger. That's the process. I love it when a passage applies itself. It makes it easy for a speaker. That's exactly what this passage does. So real quick again, he tells us to run a race. We're, we're seeing we also comes encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin and let's run. Running is not an option. How we run is. And so the writer here says, okay, you are going to be running. The only way you're going to make it is if you endure. You faithfully obey God's word even in the face of difficulty and danger. That's the only way you're going to make it, okay? And, the, and it's almost like these Jews are like, well, how do I do this? I'm glad you asked. You've got to keep your focus on Jesus. Constantly considering him, reasoning about him with careful deliberation. You've got to understand that there are going to be hard, difficult things in life. Don't try to get out from under those things. Accept them as from a hand of a loving God. And learn to endure. Learn, learn to, to, to trust God through this process, through this disciplining process of Chastening. And we, and we continue to do this, and we continue to endure because, because God is promoting this in our lives to make us more and more holy. Then he goes down and he says this, okay, so I've told you to endure. And the Jews are like, okay, how do we do this? Well, verse 12 tells specifically there's two applications. There's an application for ourselves and an application for us toward others in our church. What's the application for, for us separately? Verse 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed. So what we're seeing here is an application for myself. What is this application? I have to lift my drooping hands. How do I do this? I have to go back to considering Christ. Makes complete sense that I am down and out about life if I'm not spending time with my Lord. We have to go back to considering Christ with careful deliberation. We have to change our focus. We have to stop thinking about how hard life is and we think about how strong God is. We have to be refreshed. And how do we become refreshed? By being in the Word, by being in church and allow that to rejuvenate us. We have to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. There's no reason for any believer to ever, ever feel sorry about ourselves and for ourselves. Why? Because we have Jesus. We need nothing else. So we have to lift our drooping hands. We have to strengthen our weak knees. How do we do this? By being on them in prayer. That's dependence. He goes on, he says, listen, if you're gonna, if you're gonna endure, if you're gonna learn to endure, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna make it through, you've got to strengthen your drooping hands, you've got to strengthen your weak knees. And he says, make straight paths for your feet. What does that mean? Stop walking in hard places. It's extremely difficult to walk in sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. And the writer his says that makes complete sense. You're gonna be weary. If I am trying to run a marathon through mud, I am going to be, get very, very tired. So, what does he say? Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. So, it's, so, so you can actually run effectively, run on firm, solid ground. Then he says, this, he says, strive for peace with all men. There's a lot more we could talk about with that. He goes on. He says, strive for holiness. Verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So how do we apply this to ourselves? We strengthen our drooping hands. We strengthen our weak knees. We make straight paths for our feet. We strive for peace. We strive for holiness. That's the application for me personally, if I'm going to endure in this life. But then he he takes our focus from ourselves and puts it outwardly. We see in the next verse, he says, verse 15, looking diligently, that's the turning of the focus. Now I'm, I'm talking about people in my church. Looking diligently, about what? Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornication or profane person. I have to take my focus and I have to turn it for myself and on others. What do I have to do? I have to look diligently or see to it that number one, No man fails the grace of God. What does that mean? These are people in the church who show no fruit. And why are they not showing fruit? Because they're they're not tapping into God's grace. So what is my role? I need to show them how how God's grace works. Help them see it, how it's worked in my life. Point them to Jesus. Help them to understand that grace is God working in them both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God gives us the ability to do this through his grace, not just to do it, but to want to do it, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. My role is to point people in my church to that, that no man fails the grace of God, that no uh, root of bitterness springs up. This is a person who's, who will cause others to fall. That no one is sexually immoral. That no one is unholy. What does that mean? It means not doing sanctified things. Living for simple pleasures. And then it's like, okay, you you might not get this. So the writer puts in an illustration, a very pointed illustration. And uses the illustration. He says, lest there be any, verse 16, lest there be any fornication or profane person. Here's our illustration. As Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know that how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. And if I see a fellow Christian in sin, I am obligated as a brother in Christ to see to it, to look diligently. That I do everything I can to help that person not sell fellowship with God for a small trinket that the world has to offer why is that important? because with lack of endurance comes deep regret Esau had no endurance he couldn't make it through a meal he sold everything he had for one meal and my role in this church in my church is to help others not do that is to push others to endure. Endurance is a key component in life. We can't make it without endurance. God has informed us in this passage to run. We are to run. Running is not an option. There's a lot of people who have done it before. We see them in Hebrews chapter 11. And how they do it? Because they had faith. They believed that God is who he says he is, even when it looks like he isn't. Because we have others and other people that we might even know that have endured in this life, proving to us that it can be done, the writer is saying, okay, you've seen it happen. Now go out and do it yourself. We might be fearful in this. And that's why the writer says, okay, here's the path. Keep your focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Understand that there are going to be difficulties that come in life. There will be hard times in life. But that's the discipline process. It's not because God's mad at you. He's not. He's angry with sin every day. He's not mad at you. He's allowing these things to come into your life to chasten you back to thinking rightly about who he is. That's the discipline process. And he's not doing that just for us to be disciplined. He has a purpose. And that purpose is holiness. Verse 10. Okay, I see that I need to endure. How do I do it? I have to lift my drooping hands. I have to be rejuvenated in God's word. I have to strengthen my weak knees by being on them in prayer. I have to do all of these things, that, that, that it, these, these spiritual disciplines by, of getting to know my God. And that will rejuvenate me. And as I am rejuvenated, I turn the focus from myself to my church and help others in the church not fail the grace of God not sell fellowship with God for a small trinket that the world offers. That's endurance. That's our role in this life. One day, Jesus is coming, and it's probably soon. It will be soon. We just don't know what soon means. Jesus is coming back, and one day, these things will be behind us. But for now, we must endure. I'm so thankful for godly examples. That show us what endurance really is. What it means. And how we do it. Not perfectly. But pushing us in the right way. Thank you for being that. For us. For looking diligently. And seeing it too. That we do not sell uh, fellowship with God. For a small trinket that the world has to offer. We depend on God's grace. And as we do this. We will find ourselves living victoriously. In this world.